If you compare beer with bratwurst, and cheese with wine, or even whiskey, with donuts, then we think you can pair all of these delicious drinks with murder, conspiracies, missing persons, and more. Drink with us as you feed your craving for true crime and creepy stories. Today's tale of murder takes place 101 years ago, and it has a bit of everything. Axe murders, or should I say pickaxe murders, possible paranormal activity, incest, a ghost suspect, and even the Nazis will make an appearance. Wow. It also is going to have several German names, which I may or may not butcher on a regular basis. That's fine. Just remember the W's or V's. Viner. Yes, with your, you gave me just basically what you said there um, as uh, something to pair with. And with that, I decided to um, go with German drinks. And in my research, I find out their most popular drink in Germany, besides beer, is Jägermeister. So we're going to drink some Jägermeister, which I don't know if I've actually had since, you know. College? Yeah, party days, 21 to 24, somewhere in there. Had to have been the last time I had it. If I've ever tasted Jägermeister. When you shoot beverages or shots. It just kind of yeah. goes to the back of the throat. So I'm so, excited to taste. Yeah, so that's what we, I what got a couple Jaeger glasses here. We'll, like. um, we'll give it some sips and try and extract those notes that are in there. And not have flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little bit about Jägermeister, though. This is straight from the bottle. Um, it is a German recipe of 56 hand-selected botanicals, uh, out of which our essence is gently extracted. It then resides in oak barrels and is blended to harmonize the herbal liquor. So it is an herbal liquor. And it even says on the back here, big green herbal liquor. Interesting. Which, so I'm expecting I wonder what like else is herbal liquors? Floral There's, hints? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, all I remember is it tastes like black licorice. That's Yeah, I would call it like... A licorice liqueur, but yeah. apparently it's yeah. not. It's herbal. Um, and so that we're not just, you know, drinking Jaeger this whole time. Um, and also because the most popular drink in Germany is beer. I would have been so disappointed if you didn't pick a beer uh, to go with a German story. I, w- I, I was just going to get a beer, and then I decided to find a liquor or a drink, like a mixed drink, uh, I and I was going to disappear, but I'm glad I didn't. Um, so this is, boy, the name is hard. Von Hitchenstein. <laughs> <laughs> we totally looked it up, and he had done such a good job before. It matched almost exactly how you say the name. And now that no, we're recording, he's like, ah, German it's is Vi Hinchstefaner. Yeah, that was that was close. That's about as many times I'm going to try that while recording. Um, and it is from that brewery. Uh, this is their Vitus. Um, the brewery claims to be the world's oldest brewery. Oh. And their slogan is uh, the origin of beer. So I'm really excited. 
really excited to try this. It's also a uh, it, oh, just so you know, I mean, anybody wondering what like what type of beer is this? It's um, it's a pale wheat bock, um, and it's lagered for an extended period of time, resulting in a perfectly balanced, strong beer with a rounded character. And it is strong. These bad boys are seven point seven percent. So like, not. I can see through it Coors though, light. which makes me. Think yeah, it's gonna be lighter. I think it's it's, it's so like wheat. It'll feel be super yeah, heavy. I think it'll be a maybe a heavier wheat beer, but you know we'll see. All right, I'll go ahead and open this bad boy up for you. So starting with the Weihnachtsdefiner beer. I feel I need to learn more about beers, but it's very lively. Like it's got a lot of bubbles. It doesn't feel heavy in my mouth. And it's not a taste of beer that I think I've ever had before. Yeah. Um, it. I mean, it's kind of what I was expecting. I would describe it more as like a dark wheat the flavor is mm-hmm. it's definitely not a dark beer i don't think anyway <laughs> um i don't hate it i no, want to watch I, football I like it. and <laughs> eat a bratwurst i like it no it's like it's uh it's got rich flavor to it um it's very almost, full without feeling heavy which i think yeah, is very interesting it's almost got like a like a dark honey sort of mm-hmm. but taste. not sweet yeah like it's a, it's not like a flavored fruity beer, but there's hints of honey for sure. Yes. All right. So let's get to Jägermeister. It says it's brewed under the Purity Law of fifteen sixteen, and now I'm gonna have to look that up later. The Purity Law. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's crazy Germans. Kind of reminds me of, um, yeah, we have a few laws here in America for liquor. Um, my favorite liquor, bourbons, um, for it to be, for it to have a phrase called bottled and bond, it has to follow a certain recipe and Congress packed, passed that act back in like the 40s or something like that. That's hilarious yeah. that the U.S. government has its hand it's, in. Well, yeah, that's how important bourbon is. is <laughs> they, so need important. To, they need to make sure it was made right. <laughs> um, when I smell Jägermeister, I smell licorice. When I taste Jägermeister, I taste licorice. But I do taste... It, it, like when you pay attention, it's it is herbally. There's, it, I could imagine you know crushing up some flowers and stuff. You might get a little bit of this flavor. I like it. I feel like it hasn't reached its full potential here in the United States. Well, it has. Shots of Jaeger. College, yeah. Shots of Jaeger. I don't know. I think it's lovely. I do too. It reminds me of um. There's that Italian one. The, oh, the, Amaretto. No. Um, the nickname for it 
At least this is oh, what chef told tummies. me. Oh, um, it's When your stomach doesn't yeah, feel yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. It but was medicinal. I think that this um, could do the same thing. I, it, very similar flavors. I mean, that one's a little like a little heavier on the uh, herb. What the heck is his name? I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So you've given me a beer specifically brewed in Bavaria, and I think that would be perfectly paired with a crime that took place in the German state of Bavaria on the Hinta Kaifek Farmstead. The Hinta Kaifek Farmstead was built in 1863 and was located about 45 miles, or since we're in Germany, 70 kilometers north of Munich, Germany, which is also located in Bavaria. Hintekaifekt was mainly a pastoral farm, which means that they raised livestock as a means of economic survival. The property contained one main house where the family lived, as well as a number of outbuildings, including a barn and a machine room or a shed. Bordering on the rear of these buildings was a dense woodland forest. On March 31, 1922, which was the date for the Hintakaifek massacre, there were six inhabitants living on the farm. So first, you have Andreas Gruber, who's 63 years old, and his wife, Kazelia Gruber, who I'm going to refer to as Grandma and Grandpa Gruber, or in German, Oma and Opa, which I didn't even have to look up. I actually knew what that was. Oh, look at you. They're going to live at Hintakaifek with their widowed daughter, Victoria. She's going to be 35 years old. Also living at Hintakaifek are Victoria's two children, Kazelia, named after her grandma, who is seven years old, and Joseph, who's two. In addition to the five family members, there's going to be a maid. Her name was Maria Baumgartner, and she also calls Hintakaifek home. To truly tell you this story, though, we have to start six months prior to the incident date. Six months earlier, there's actually a different maid living at Hintakaifek. Her name was Crescens Regal. <laughs> and she began to hear noises in the attic. These noises were so persistent that she began to believe that Hintakaifek was actually haunted. And the conviction of that belief was so strong that it prompted her to quit her job, leave the family, and never return to Hintakaifek again. Dang. Okay. Now, so there's our paranormal activity. Now, jumping to early March, Grandpa Gruber, Andreas, begins to notice some strange things taking place at Hintakaifek. The first thing he notices is he locates a newspaper, which actually comes from Munich, which is 70 kilometers away, and no one at Hintakaifek subscribed to that specific newspaper. So it's like a, a new, the, the day of newspaper mm -hmm. or something. It wasn't an old one he found. In addition to him believing that no one at Hintakaifek subscribed to that newspaper, he was pretty confident that none of his neighbors subscribed to that newspaper either. Hmm. Instead of questioning its existence, he's going to explain the newspaper away by assuming that it was the postman 
who lost it while delivering Hintakaifek their mail. Then, days before the 31st of March, which is when the massacre took place, snow blanketed Hintakaifek. After the snow let up and when Andreas went outside, he noticed something very interesting. There was a set of footprints which started at the edge of the forest and ended at the door to the farm's machine room. Hmm. Upon closer inspection, Andreas realized that the door had a broken lock. What was really bizarre was that there were no footprints leading away from the machine room, and when Andreas looked inside, he didn't find anyone hiding in there who would have been responsible for leaving the footprints in the snow. Hmm. Okay. Later that same night, Grandpa Gruber, Andreas, began to hear footsteps in the attic, just like our former maid, Crescens. But after searching the building, he couldn't locate any trespasser responsible for the noise. He did, however, believe that somebody had moved objects around in the attic. What should have been more troubling was later in March, Andreas began to worry that someone had stolen a set of keys for the farmstead. Andreas Gruber did report these incidents to a neighbor, but again, he must have convinced himself that there was a reasonable explanation because when his neighbors offered him to help him thoroughly search the farm and even offered to provide him with a gun for protection, Andreas is going to decline both offers. He also does not report any of these strange incidents to the police. Hmm. There is one last peculiar report made about something that occurred a couple of days before the incident, but whatever bearing it could have on what is about to take place, I'm going to let you decide. Okay. So a school friend of Kazelia will inform the police that Kazelia had told her that on one of the preceding evenings leading up to March 31st, Victoria, which is the widowed mother, after having a violent quarrel, actually fled the home, ran into the woods, and wouldn't be found until hours later, hiding in the woods. From what? I'm not sure. Okay. Now, on the evening of the incident, the new maid... It was her first day on the job. Maria Baumgartner is going to arrive at Hintakaifek to start in her role as what my sources referred to as the maid servant. Her sister is going to escort her there and stay for a short while while Maria got acclimated. Maria's sister is the last known individual to see anyone alive. Whether all six inhabitants were killed during the late hours of March 31st or the early hours of April 1st will never be determined. But what is certain is that no one who called Hintakaifek home would make it through the night to see the sunrise the next day. So for four days, individuals would come and go to Hintakaifek without realizing what had actually taken place. For example, there were two coffee salesmen. Okay, wait. So, Hintakaifek, is this like a tiny town or like, is it 
What is this? So Hintakaifek was located in a town that no longer exists called Vangend. And Hintakaifek translates to behind Hinter and Kaifek, which is the name of another location. And all it was was the name of that farm. Like if you've driven past large ranches, they all have oh, yeah. names. Yeah, even small farms around here yep. have names. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. I think we should name our house. That's House Owen. Yeah, <laughs> let's put out a sign. <laughs> but that's what it is. That's the name of this specific pastoral farm. Okay, cool. So like I said, from the incident date of March 31st to when the bodies are discovered on April 4th, several individuals are going to come and go. They're going to visit Hintakaifek without actually understanding what happened. So the first two individuals are two coffee salesmen who would be welcome at my house any day of the week. Their names are Hans and Edward Swarovski. <laughs> Hans and Edward. <laughs> and you should see how Edward is spelled. So they arrive at Hintakaifek to take a coffee order. They knocked on the door. When nobody came to the door, they knocked on the window. When nobody went to the window, they actually even walk around to the back of the property. But they would later report that they saw no signs of anybody at Hintakaifek. They did make notice of a broken gate and that the machine house or shed was open. But they didn't investigate any further and they chose to leave, which I think was a smart move. Okay. This episode of Perfectly Paired With is brought to you by... Oh, hold on. What, what are you doing? I'm doing the ads. The ads? The advertisements, Jace. This is how we get paid. We're not doing the shit for nothing. Oh, I fucking hate sponsors while I'm listening to a, a podcast. All right. Well, would you hate it less if it was for your business? Hmm. No. Actually, I would love that. This episode of Perfectly Paired With is brought to you by Jason Owen with the Impact Group. Realtor extraordinaire. Need to move because your house is haunted? Well, he could sell your home because he could sell anything. Need to buy somewhere new because you're ready to move on to the next chapter of your life. He will make that happen. That's Jason Owen with the Impact Group, a part of your castle real estate. Then on April 4th, Albert Hoffner, who's reported to have been a machinist or an assembler, he arrives to repair an engine based on like a previous arrangement with Grandpa Gruber. Grandpa Gruber. <laughs> Opa Gruber. He would report that he didn't see anyone either. But he would also claim that it was eerily quiet at Hintakaifek. He would say he didn't hear animal noises. And where he would have expected the dog to be running around and barking, he didn't hear anything. Hmm. He said he waited for about an hour. And then he just went inside the barn and began to repair the engine. He reported he was at Hintakaifek for four and a half hours in order to finish the job. It was also April 4th that the postman began to notice that none of his mail that he delivered was being collected. Right. Now, whether he went to neighbors and talked to them or neighbors themselves 
had noticed that there was like a lack of commotion at Hintakaifek. One neighbor, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, is going to send his two sons at about 3.30 to see if they could make contact with anybody from Hintakaifek. Johan, who is 16, and Joseph, who is nine, that's our second Joseph, mm-hmm. is going to report back to their dad that they didn't see anybody moving around at Hintakaifek. At this point, Schlittenbauer is probably like, nope, we need to figure out what's going on. Uh, and sorry if you already said, but how big is Hintakaifek? So like I've seen. Acre wise? I don't have acreage. I've seen a picture, but all the picture shows is like the buildings. Mm. I don't see any of no, the pastoral overhead. land. I'm okay. assuming there's quite a bit of pasture land right. in order to like sustain the livestock. Yeah. Um, but none of my resources gave me acreage. And they have a lot of livestock. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in some of my sources, it talked about how economically independent Hintakaifek was. Mm. So they clearly had enough resources. Okay. So Schlittenbauer is going to enlist two other neighbors, Michael Pohl and Jacob Signal, and the three men head to Hintakaifek to see if they could figure out what's going on. Now, the three men couldn't get into any of the main buildings because all of the doors were locked. How many main buildings are there? Just one main family building. Yeah. And then outbuildings. Like? sheds and I think there were three outbuildings Mm -hmm. they did realize that they could get into the barn remember our machinist had been working in the barn earlier that day it is in the barn that these three men make their first grizzly discovery laying beneath a pile of hay and a large piece of wood Lorenz Schlittenbauer is going to locate four members of the family Grandpa Gruber, Grandma Gruber, widowed Victoria, and little girl Kazelia. Under a pile of hay? Mm-hmm. And Do like you... a big piece of wood. So is it like a giant pile of hay? Or... Mm-hmm. But you're in a barn where hay is stored, I'm assuming. Well, yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to picture walking in, A, missing it, if the machinist missed it, because... It'd have to be a lot of hay to cover that many people. Also, how did he not notice the smell? Unless, yeah. Barns are stinky. Well, how long does it take for smell to, isn't it's, it? I think it's like 12 hours, 24 I, hours. Is this, there is a time on it. We're no It's expert. not right away. <laughs> but I picture like a barn with a loft. Nothing in my resources say that, but that's uh, what I yeah, picture. Yeah, that's what I picture too. So, so perhaps maybe it's up in the loft. Later in the story, somebody tries to explain why the bodies weren't buried. Okay. But we're not there yet. Okay. So the bodies were naked, stacked one on top of the other, covered in each other's blood. It was clear that each person had sustained significant trauma to their head, their skulls and faces bludgeoned. So Lorenz, our neighbor actually wound up moving the bodies in order to try and find a surviving victim. Finding no one still alive, the three men made to enter the home to try and locate two-year-old Joseph. Two-year-old Joseph. So on this farm, 
you did say there was what five members and then a maid and then a maid but she had just started the day before so, so i don't even two think people unaccounted unaccounted for, for. Okay. but i can't be convinced that the neighbors knew that the maid would be in the house now here's where i found two conflicting accounts of what happened next okay so the first account is and i saw this in the picture that there is a hall that connects the barn to the main house. And that's how all three men moved from the barn into the main house. The second account is somewhat more interesting. So according to one of my resources, Lorenz mysteriously finds that he actually has a set of keys. And he alone exits the barn and goes out and enters the main house using this newfound set of keys. So these keys were they like they had like they were given to them, or did they find them in the barn? No. The no co- idea. conflicting reports was that he had on his person when they arrived at him to Kaifek a set of keys. That would allow him to get into the house. Now, when we start talking about Lorenz Schlittenbauer in detail, there could be a reasonable explanation as to why he has the keys. Yeah. But why wouldn't he use them to open the main door? True. Why would he pretend like he doesn't? Well, you're not just barging in on somebody, though. Um, That's true. You know, you're not. Let's start in the barn and see if something... Yeah, let's walk around the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay, the barn is here. That's, I'm not going to walk into somebody naked there, although they did. Um, <laughs> you just wait to the things that happen at, at Hintakai Fest. <laughs> but I am a little suspicious on these guys already because yeah. if the machinist came, didn't see any bodies, Nothing. and these bodies were piled... On top of each other and... Has to be like five Tons of feet. hay on them, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, like, why'd they look through the hay? Right. Like, unless somebody was like, I don't know. I think somebody's at, at no. the... I think something's if at you're the bottom of the hay. But maybe, Lorenz, maybe it is like... Keep going uh, with that. It's in the, the, the attic and... Or the attic, the loft. And... Um, the machinists never went up there and they, you know, went up there and they're like, this is a weird looking mm-hmm. pile of hay. It's also kind of out of place. What, what is this? Maybe it's just the compounding of, we know people have been here. They haven't seen anything. It's time that we take a more in-depth look. So when we're looking at this, exactly. just the barn, let's yep. actually look around. Yep. Let's move some things and let's see if we can figure out where the family is. Yep. So whether Lorenz gets in through the hallway or he happens to have a set of keys, Lorenz does make it into the living space. Hold on, hold on. I did skip over the hallway, the hallway connecting the barn. Oh, I, we will put the picture up on whatever website we eventually create. It literally looks like the main house. There's a hallway like connection between that and then this giant barn. That's just, that's so weird. It's a connected you just barn wait. to your hall to your your house. I don't Remember, nineteen twenty two. Yeah, I know. Okay. So, however, Lorenz gets in. He's going to make two more horrifying discoveries. Two year old Joseph was found bludgeoned to death in his bassinet, 
And poor Maria, who had been on the job, like what, 24 hours, not even, is going to have suffered the same fate, but in her, I'm using the language of 1922, her bed chamber. Her bed, her bedroom? Yeah. Um, wait, the two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Bludgeoned. Bludgeoned. Mm-hmm. So wounds head to his head trauma. Jeez. So finally, the decision was made to call the police. Now, the closest police department is located in Munich, which is 45 miles, 70 kilometers from Hintekaifeck. Now, in the meantime, which just makes me like sad I don't live in 1922, but also like glad I don't live in 1922, locals around Hintekaifeck are going to hear the news of these like tragic killings and they're all just going to show up. And they're going to look at the bodies and they're going to touch the bodies. <laughs> and according to some reports, they even like cook meals in the kitchen. So by the time Weird. Inspector George Reingruber arrives, every single part of the crime scene has been contaminated. Yeah. It's, I can't even imagine. It's, it, it's basically impossible it's so bizarre. to do any. No detective work right on a scene like that yep so with inspector george reingruber are going to be members of his department and they're all going to arrive to conduct an investigation this includes a court physician named johann baptist amuller and he's going to be responsible for performing the autopsies he will conclude that there were wounds to the skulls and faces that he thinks were inflicted by something called a maddock, which is similar to a pickaxe. But during this initial investigation, no maddock was ever found or retrieved from the property. A maddock is a pickaxe. Mm-hmm, basically. It's an agricultural tool used for, like, chopping. Is there a difference between a pickaxe and a mattock? Yeah, they look exactly the same? That's beyond my interest. Oh. Every, when I clicked on mattock, it just said, like a pickaxe. Oh. Does it have, like, a flat part? I think it has a blunt edge and a pointy edge. So you can yeah. dig with it or you and, can chop with it. Yeah. I, I think I know what that is. Pickaxes are more, like... Um, mining tools. Whereas a, I think Maddox a Maddox are agricultural probably, period, and it probably has like a flat part mm -hmm. on one end, and then a pickaxe, a yeah. pointy part on the other. Yeah, but um, I think if you watch Snow White, whatever the dwarves have, that's a Maddox. It is a pointy end on one side and a flat. I don't think there's oh, much of a difference. Yeah. I think it's exactly the same thing, I, except I just a Maddox is. Symbol. The uh, oh. pickaxe looks like shout out two, two <laughs> points. <laughs> I think they have a maddock. I really do. Okay. So in addition, the autopsies are also going to reveal evidence of strangulation, but the strangulation only occurred on Grandma Cazelia and Mother Victoria, which could indicate a couple of things: one, that perhaps there was more than one killer. One who preferred to use a maddock and one that wanted to strangle their victims. Two, something went wrong 
and strangulation wasn't working, so the killer had to resort to using the Madoc. Or three, that there was a personal motive involving the adult females. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I could see any of those, really. Um, it almost makes sense that there would be two people, because that's a lot of people to kill and not have one get away. Um, of course, you start with strangulation, and then you go to the pickaxe, do it really fast, because you're realizing, like, oh, they, they're going to get away. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's pretty messed up. I did have to look it up. <laughs> he what was not satisfied with my description yeah. of the difference between a pickaxe and a mattock. I was not satisfied with that at all. Um, so I, I was correct, though. Um, a mattock, it's, um, it's got uh, basically a horizontal blade on uh, a one side. Side. Well, it, but it but also goes no, like out. It's flat. It, it, this it says, um, I'll just read what it says. Okay. Um, a mattock has a broad ads, odds, ads. I don't know. It's not AD, even German. A D Z E. <laughs> but, but they have in parental side, uh, parentheses, um, uh, horizontal blade, usually with a pick or an ax on the, on other, the other end of the head. A pickaxe has a pointed pick on one end of the head and a narrow chisel at the other. So it okay. basically just looks like two sharper blades. And the nuggets have a pickaxe. The nuggets have a pickaxe. Okay. Yes, yes. Good to know. The more you know. <laughs> da -na -na. This episode of the Perfectly Paired With podcast is brought to you by J&L Professional Detail. I used to think that paying to have your car cleaned was only for the serial killers among us looking to eliminate the evidence of their crimes. But that all changed when as a gift my husband hired JNL Professional Detail to clean the disaster that was my car. JNL was fast, thorough, and the results were mind-blowing. Find them on Facebook to schedule your interior or exterior service today. Ryan Gruber's initial investigation also revealed an incredibly sad discovery, and that was that young Cecilia most likely was alive for hours in the pile of her deceased family's bodies. Whether it was out of pain, perhaps confusion, or even grief, this young girl pulled out tufts of her own hair and these tufts were found lying in the straw around her. How old was she? Nine. No. Yep. Oh, oh, oh. that's awful. So awful. it's horrendous. The court physician who's responsible for the autopsies on Mueller actually is going to decapitate the victims. He's going to remove their skulls so that he can send them to Munich for further examination. Okay. And I think that's significant because that was the only area of interest when it came to collecting evidence. Their bodies were basically discarded. So like 
we now in 2023 know that like defensive wounds or like skin, hair, like could have been pulled from. They just wanted to examine where where, trauma happened. Yeah. So right off the bat, robbery is going to be considered the motive for these crimes. So the investigation team interviewed traveling salesmen, vagrants, and several members of the surrounding villages. However, once they found large amounts of money and valuables still at the Hintakaifek farmstead, the idea that robbery was the motive had to be abandoned. What they do conclude early on and remain confident in is that the perpetrator or perpetrators actually remained at Hintakaifek for several days Why? after committing the murders. Why would they think that? Well, I'm about to tell you. Oh, perfect. So the first piece of evidence is that someone continued to feed the cattle and milk the cows. Uh, okay. <laughs> A second piece of evidence, which the team concluded, was that all the bread had been consumed from the kitchen and that meat had been recently cut from the pantry. And the only thing I can think of is that if you like raise livestock for a living, you don't go to like the market and get a couple of ribeyes. You have like slabs of meat. And they could determine that meat had recently been cut from whatever slab the family was working through. In addition to those like observations, there's a local man named Simon Rieblander. And he was a farmer and butcher who says that on his way home the morning of April 1st at about 3 a.m., he saw two mysterious figures at the edge of the forest. And he noticed that each made a significant effort to hide their faces from him. Second, there's a man named Michael Plockel. Plockel. (laughs) Not... Not the German pronunciation, I'm sure. (laughs) But he actually says that he passed the farm on April 3rd. So like three days after the family was most likely murdered. And he saw someone heating the oven. And again, I'm trying to envision a 1922 farm where maybe they have to actually put wood in from like the outside in a furnace. Yeah. And that person was holding a lantern. And they intentionally, according to Michael Pleckel, Use the lantern to blind him so he couldn't see what they look like. Mm. Also, Michael Plockel, I should just stop saying his last name. Michael says that whatever was coming from the smoke from the oven had a putrid, almost revolting scent to it. What? Did I they don't, never figured out what no, that smell was? This investigation makes me sad. No. It was never actually investigated what could have been burning in the oven. Because it's not like parts of the victims. Right. Unless there was another victim. That we don't know about. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Mm. I, that's what's going to like keep me from going <laughs> to sleep tonight. <laughs> So here's something that you actually made mention of. You said that's a lot of victims to kill in one, like, time. But originally, the court of the commission, the commission's court or the court's commission, concluded that each victim 
was lured into the barn one at a time due to like restless animal noises. And that was the official report given. What? However, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. However, a later experiment was conducted, which proved that not even human screams from the barn could be heard in the living spaces. So whereas like the initial investigation tried to explain it away by saying, nope, it was one at a time. And they were lured there individually because the animals were restless. It's not true. Yeah. Is the barn really far away from the house? No. I want to show you a picture. I'm going to pull up a picture. So I've shared with you the picture of the Hintakaifek buildings. It looks to me like there's a main building direct, like in the center of the image. Yeah, it looks like a house. Mm-hmm. And what else do you see? Um, two barns on the side of it. Uh, but there's one close enough that I could see a like a covered walkway mm-hmm. attaching the house to it which makes sense to have because yeah. you know winters are easy in germany yeah <laughs> uh, you know i yeah if i had a you know walk out and take care of animals it'd be great right. to have a covered walkway um and i'm just assuming that that's the barn where the bodies were found because of the one account that the three men were able to walk from the barn directly into the living quarters of so the family. The wood, all wood, not painted building next to it. What, what is that? In the resources, it talks about a machine shed, which is where the footprints lead to. Is that where the machine guy was? According to, to the resources, they say he was in the barn. Okay. So I think either explanation is plausible, right? I think they use machines probably to milk the cows. But also this machine shed could be where tractors are. I don't think the sources were very clear. But I am glad that you talked about the machine shed because the next piece of evidence in the Hintakaifek massacre is actually found and would have been stored in that machine shed, which I think is the building off to the left. Right. Interesting. Okay. okay. All right. I'll, you could go on. I'm now, like, looking at all the Google images, which I know. Don't if you're listening to this, uh, do that. It's uh, If you're not into the story already, just start Googling some of these images, and it's, uh, it's interesting. So the Madoc which was concluded to be the murder weapon, wasn't found for another year. So the buildings at Hintakaifect were set to be demolished, and farmhand George Siegel is actually in the attic of the family home, and he finds the Maddock murder weapon. Just wait. They didn't search the attic for anything? Like, what if there was another body up there? (laughs) (laughs) it's very clear that the investigation was lacking, but just wait. So this Maddox, which is found by somebody who worked on the farm, is going to be identified as a tool that Grandpa Andreas Gruber himself had owned and had been locked up with all of the other tools in the machine shed, which is where the footprints led. And the lock on the door was broken. broken. 
but no footprints led away. Siegel would go on to claim that it would have taken someone with reasonable experience using that type of agricultural tool to do what was done to the inhabitants of Hintakaifect on March 31st. Why is that? I mean, you can swing. Let me, no, I can't. On a human body that isn't incapacitated, I literally could take a Maddox right now to like a tree root that doesn't move. I guess it is. And I'm going to exhaust myself. It has a weird And I won't, like, and I'm formidable. Like, I'm not going to like disparage myself. But like, I'm, unless I have practice using a Maddox, I'm not going to be like, Strangulation yeah, isn't working. It's not like so, an axe where what you're aiming for, like, 100. percent It's straight, and you're gonna hit what you're aiming for. It, yeah, it has an angle to it, so you have to know how, what direction to swing this in to hit hit your target right. every time. I'm not an gotcha. expert, so I'm just it. gonna go with George on this one. I get, I got it. So, like you have alluded to, I'm just going to declare that this investigation was seriously lacking. Even though it was lacking, Inspector Ryan Gruber did uncover some useful information during the course of his investigation. For example, I'm just, I need to have a drink real quick. Let's leave that in there. No, you should. (laughs) Here it comes. So Grandpa, Opa, Andreas Gruber, and his daughter Victoria actually had an incestuous relationship. Wait, 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 how old was this daughter? She was 35. He was 65, and his wife was 72. Both, just, you, we're not <laughs> I'm, even... I'm processing the, the incest for a second. Have a bevy. Um, this way. So he's sleeping with his 35-year-old mm-hmm. daughter. Oh, Probably not his 72-year-old wife. Or both. It doesn't matter. But, yeah. Maybe so Andreas program. was actually jailed for one year because of this relationship. And Victoria... Oh, people knew about it. Oh. Oh, yep. my. So Victoria received one month of incarceration. What? Which made the family... So incest is illegal. Incredibly disliked yeah. by their neighbors, by surrounding villages. Uh. And it said that this investigation actually consumed investigator Ryan Gruber, especially in terms of the attacks on the children. Before the end of the investigation, he's going to question over 200 people. And he comes up with a list of suspects. Okay. So our first suspect is neighbor Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Lorenz Schlittenbauer. He's the individual who told police about the strange things that Andreas allegedly had reported to him. Oh, the, like the footprints. Newspaper. Footprints. Newspaper. Keys being stolen. But nobody else actually corroborated any of these stories. And he's the one with the uh, keys. Yeah. Right? Okay. Also, take another drink. Just do it. It will prepare you. He actually had a relationship with Victoria. Goodness. And, <laughs> and because of that, he was paying Victoria alimony based on the notion that her two-year-old son, Joseph, was actually his son. 
However, oh, there is not a father of this child living with them. However, Lorenz was very disgruntled with paying the alimony, especially considering that he, as well as most people in the surrounding areas, believed Joseph's father was actually Andreas Gruber himself. Papa Gruber, Grandpa Gruber. Oh, oh just goodness. like. Also, Schlittenbauer had his own wife and family, which would have contributed to a possible motive. And he would have been familiar with the farm and where all the tools were kept. Mm. When police asked him why he would have gone into the house when the perpetrators could have been inside, he said that he was looking for Joseph, his son. But I don't know. If there was a pickaxe murder, I probably wouldn't go in by myself. Um, I thought he didn't. I thought there was two other people with him. Two accounts. So one account is he went in by himself. With keys. And the other account is that all three of them mm -hmm. went in. You also have the question about the keys. How did he have a set of keys? He oh. disturbed the bodies. He compromised the scene. And according to the case file, a local teacher named Hansky Blogger <laughs> had actually at one point discovered Schlittenbauer visiting the property. And in my mind, he was somewhat inebriated on um, Jägermeister and Weinenschnaffener. <laughs> That's really good. It's a delicious beer. And he's going to tell this teacher that the reason why the bodies weren't buried in the ground the night of March 31st was because the ground was too frozen, meaning that the killer had to leave them under the pile of hay. So he's telling this teacher his own theory. Or which his own experience. Could be his own experience. Oh, man. Uh what, what's his name again? <laughs> Leinenstragel? Um, Lorenz. Leinenkugel? <laughs> Lorenz. Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer. Talking to the teacher, Hans, your blogger. Anyway, any which way. Which <laughs> Germans and their names. But I don't know. By the time Andreas dies in 1942, he actually won several civil claims against anybody who accused him of being the murderer at Hintakaifek. Oh, so he was uh, kind of investigated a lot then. Yeah. Not only by and he the police, but also all these court That there lawyers, wasn't evidence to say he did it. Investigators as well. Yeah. And, all right. All right. All right. That leads us to our second prime suspect, whose name is Carl Gabriel, who is- Finally, a normal name. <laughs> <laughs> a normal name, not a normal person, who is none other than Victoria's dead husband. Carl was thought to have been struck by a mine in December of 1914 during World War I. However, his body was never recovered from France, where he was alleged to have died. Carl believed that the actual father of Cecilia... The daughter was again Andres Gruber, which speaks to his motive. At the end of World War II, there are some captives 
from Schrobenhausen, which is a region in Bavaria, who are released early from Soviet captivity. And they will go on to claim that they had been sent home by a German-speaking Soviet officer who claimed that he was the Hintekaifeck murderer. What? When was that? At the end of World War II. So the story is that Carl never dies. After World War II, he, or World War I, he goes home. He murders everybody at Hintekaifeck. So is it... Is he... Is this theory saying he becomes a Soviet Mm -hmm. officer? Because there are individuals who will come and testify that they interacted with Carl Gabriel after World War I. And this individual that they believe is Carl tells them that he wants to defect and join the Soviet army. And he's probably like 40 by now. I don't know how old he was when he married a woman who's going to well, back mother then they two married, children with her father. They married young. Um, this Aunt. is, what, 20 years later? Yeah. So, yeah. I, okay, I could see it. I could okay. It. So, Carl Gabriel, out there living, Soviet life, releases men, saying he is the Hintekaifeck murderer. However... It, let me ask you this, though. Is the Hintekaifeck murder uh, massacre, is that... I'm assuming U- uber popular, very well in, known in Germany. I'm assuming maybe even all regions around then. A hundred percent around there. If um, we're talking about it a hundred plus years later, I guarantee you it was a thing. Yeah, I've never heard this. I mean, obviously, when I nobody go, has nobody has told this Google story. Hinter Kaifek is a lot of people have gotten into this. Yeah, hopefully none of our listeners are just <laughs> what the heck is happening. But it bums me out because I really held out for like a ghost suspect. But eventually all of those who contribute to the story that possibly Carl is alive, he seeks revenge on his wife and his wife's father, they all actually change their story multiple times, which really like diminishes the possibility that Carl Gabriel is alive and he actually is responsible for what happened at Hintekaifeck. Right. It's like Tupac did it. I know. I rooted for you, Carl, but I just don't think. Yeah. So this leads us to a politically motivated crime. So for this, you just have to like deal with me for like two minutes. So originally Bavaria was primarily Catholic and conservative in terms of political thinking. Mm -hmm. However, this changed when the king of Bavaria, his name was Ludwig III, is going to abdicate the crown at the end of World War I with something called the Anif Declaration. This declaration brought significant political instability to Bavaria. I gotta stop you because I'm getting held up on something. Did you say king of Bavaria? Yes. So these cities or whatever in Germany have individual kings? Mm-hmm. Okay. That are the head of the government. Huh. But once Germany loses in World War One, they're they abdicate. They don't want power. They give it up. So is a king more like a governor 
Or yeah, it, but it's not elected. I would say so. They're not elected? Or does it I work don't know. Like I a, feel like you want me to take you back to like Europe in the Middle Ages no, and we nobody don't, wants to hear that. So let's just say that King Ludwig abdicates. He gives up his power with something called the Anif Declaration. And that declaration is going to bring significant political change to Bavaria. Okay. Extremist groups are going to look at Bavaria as a place of possible change or wow. growth, and they flock to the region. It's like Austin, Texas of America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in 1922, the town of Vegan, which we talked about, actually has some local and mayoral elections. Now, the town only has 5,000 individuals, so the notion that killing off Andreas, who is a Nazi sympathizer, which the Nazi, Nazis were created in 1920, and as an individual, he actually stood out that by killing him, it could result in like a different political outcome isn't unreasonable. Yeah. Now, as early as April 9th, a man named Adolf Gump... What's that last name? Gump. Gump? Yeah. Like, like Forrest. <laughs> was considered a, sus- a suspect. He was a member of a paramilitary group named the Free Corps Oberland. And this group originally opposed and fought against communists and the Polish. But with the beginning of the Nazi party, like I said, in 1920, they switched their focus and put it on the Nazis. Oh, so... Not only anti-communist, anti-fascist. Yes. Okay. On her. I'm di- just imagining like Forrest Gump, looking like. Adolf I kind of picture him like, like Forrest Hitler, Gump, a little bit. But he looks he's like just Adolf like a Hitler. good. Like he's got the comb just over. Just a mix he's of got the, the two. Weird mustache. I want him to have the plaid shirt. But he's and the he's khaki pants. Very Forrest Gumpy. But the Adolf mustache. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's where this theory gets serious. So on her deathbed, Adolf's sister, Crescencia Mayer, claims that Adolf, along with her brother Anton, committed that they were responsible for the atrocious acts at Hintakai effect. Who is this? Their sister. Their sister. So it'd be like Janelle, narking on you and Justin. She says, they did it. They told me they did it. And they did it because Grandpa Gruber was a Nazi, a a sympathizer. And they wanted to, like, veer Bavaria's local elections towards the more liberal, less German-focused. Does that mean this family, um, what's their bomb... Baumgartner's? Baum- no. Gruber. Gruber. Or. No, um, the family that was killed. What's their last name? First of all, grandma and grandpa were Grubers, but Victoria was married to, what's his name? Carl Gabriel. So it's the Grubel Gra- Gruber Gabriel <laughs> Farmstead. Okay. Because she has her husband's name. Are they, um... Influential. They don't sound influential in there. Actually, now that I'm like saying they, the question, I'm like they don't sound influential they at don't, all because they're. I wasn't going to talk about this yet, but they are economically I don't even strong. Know if that's the right word. No, it is. 
Um, but, but they make money. They're self-sufficient. I think in do terms of... they provide of, for the community? I'm assuming, yeah. Okay. But they are disliked. I just... It, like one family out of, you know... But 5,000 5, votes. people. If you're split right after World War One. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Um, a pickaxe to everybody stacked like i'm that's a message nothing is stolen it's a political message but uh, they're not convicted look, they're not right. charged yep. it just and dies away theory. and it, yeah it's one of the the theories it's the second theories. I'm suspect not, but i'm not, I'm not buying asking that one. you at anyway um go go to the next <laughs> so even an american would potentially be tied to hintakai fact what i know there's a man named paul mueller who, in like the most um, exaggerated counts, killed about 40, 95 people. And his life is written about in a book called The Man from the Train, has some very interesting similarities between a crime he committed and the massacre at Hintakai Fact. So there was one incident in which Mueller murdered an entire family in an isolated home using a blunt instrument like a pickaxe. Additionally, Mueller went on to stack the bodies and robbery wasn't a motive for any of these crimes. So the last suspect I want to tell you about is a man named Joseph Bertel. That's the third Joseph in the story. And investigators are going to look at him. Now, he had escaped from a mental hospital and was... Actually, the hospital was in Gunzburg, Germany, and he escapes in 1921. And he was known to have been in the area at the time of the massacre. And that's basically all the motive they have or evidence for why he could have committed the crime. Just he's in the area. Yeah, and he's and kind he's of... a mental patient. Mm-hmm. Okay. The last theory I want to talk about is the Nazi theory. Ooh. So some speculate that Hintakaifek would have been considered a very valuable location to be used as a Nazi hideout. In fact, many similar hideouts were found to exist throughout much of Bavaria, which is where Hintekaifect was located. Andreas and his family most likely would have been considered assets at first, but at the first sign of resistance, the Nazi would have need to remove them from the equation. If this theory is correct, then most likely there would have been more than one perpetrator because the end goal wasn't to kill the family. It was to use this location for the benefit of the Nazi party. Which of your of the th- like three theories you mentioned, I did. I do think the multiple perpetrators mm-hmm. is more most plausible. Now, um, but is there any evidence of it being used by Nazis after? No, but I think that perhaps maybe it drew too it large drew too of much of attention. attention. <clears throat> okay. So in 2007, university students decide to look into the Hintakaifect massacre to see if they can make sense of what happened. The team realized that important evidence, like the skulls, were actually missing. 
and that other evidence had never been properly collected. They concluded that the crime would never be solved. Despite coming to the conclusion that there was one true prime suspect who they would not name out of respect for that suspect's, like, offspring. What? Come on. That's it. There is a memorial to commemorate the victims that stands today, and it reads, quote, Memorial for Hintakaifect in the immediate vicinity of the crime, Godless Hand, the family of Gabriel Gruber, fell victim here on 31st March, 1922. And then the memorial lists the names and years of birth of each of the victims. Mm. I mean, I think it's a pretty big deal in Germany. Three movies have been made. Yeah, I kind of. But I, that's I that's a, it. Some some movies made, but. But I'm curious. What do you think? Out of all the suspects, and I didn't even go into all of the suspects. Who do you think those university students would have considered the most likely? Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the neighbor, the alleged father of Joseph, or Carl Gabriel, the dead husband? You also have the Gump brothers. Was it the American or was it the Nazis? I mean, I'll start with my thoughts on Carl because I think that's the most intriguing um but you don't i mean and maybe there's a reason you don't hear of it but you don't hear of faking your death like being successful a whole lot um also since and the reason i asked like if this was a big deal in germany at the time i mean it'd be so easy just to tell these guys like oh i did that you know like mm -hmm. just to scare them even yeah, they're the, german yeah. they know the story just to so scare why them, you tell like, them don't come back uh, i am whatever. the perpetrator I, into kai fact yeah yeah mm -hmm. I, I could see that being um uh something fun to fake um but maybe i like i like that one the best i think it's I think it's the most interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you would come back. If you thought your wife mothered a child with your father-in-law, I think you would just run. Yeah. I'm going to well, join the I Soviets. Can, I can I'm going to start again. I, I have can, zero yeah, interest I can in seeing any of them again. And that story being true because of all that. And then also the, you want to fake your death because A, I mean, you grew up small town living. Everybody knows everything about everybody. Um, and you just don't want to deal with like the judgment like in your own mm -hmm. head. So you fake your death, you're off, or maybe even you still love your wife. Mm. And you you're also married to a woman who has a relationship with but her you father. And I think yeah. I would just be like, I'm out. Yeah. But maybe he still to. was a gentleman. I was like, I'm not going to put her through that. <laughs> a so German I'll fake my gentleman. death and I'll get out of here. Now, I'm going to defect to the Soviets. I think that's, I think it's a, it's an interesting theory. I think it's a fun theory. I but you don't think it's him. It's more highly unlikely. All right. Carl Gabriel is out. Um, Who else? The American. The Amer well, yeah, the American. Mueller, you said um, that he did all these similar things, but where was he when he did it? 
on the East Coast. Like, I think Boston. Okay, so... Okay, he's That's out. ridiculous. Maybe not, but probably. <laughs> All right. You're also talking about 1920s. Like, he's not just hopping over to Germany super right. easy and then back. Yeah. Um, Back across the pond. I think the most likely is... Slittenbauer, Slitten Google, Slittenbauer, Lorenz. Schlittenbauer. I think Lorenz is the most likely, um, especially if you had a relationship with the daughter. Victoria. And everybody knows of the incest going on, which is crazy because if everybody knows, that means they're probably pretty gross in public. Like, they went to jail, though. They knew they went to jail. Yeah, I know, but for somebody but that... somebody like, had to bring There it had to have the been hard evidence. Of, yeah. like, every, uh, probably everybody knew, because they're like, you know, Ooh. a little too inappropriate at the, oh at the market. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, that... And we're talking about old time where acceptance isn't part of their mm-hmm. culture it's not appalachia yeah well, it's not today <laughs> where we're like you know just do what you want do what you want um as long as it's not hurting anybody which okay like we're good with that uh then they weren't and mm-hmm. uh it was a different time so i could see it's just anger yeah built up in this guy and so I, I mean, I w- I want more time to think on this because <laughs> this is a big story. I'm I'm like I'm, I I love it. Love that you brought this story to us. Um, and I I want some more time to think of this. Maybe we could record a mm-hmm. you know afterthought on this all. But uh, I I want to know you've done all the research. You've like been in this story for a couple weeks now. What do you think? So considering that I don't think anybody will ever be named as the perpetrator of the Hintakaifect murders, I think I'm going to go with the locals claimed over a century ago. They claimed that it was the devil who visited Hintakaifect on the night of March 31st. And to ensure that everyone knew he had been there, he left his footprints in the snow. However, if you want to hear my actual thoughts, because I do have a theory that I think is a little bit conspiracy, but a little bit the only thing that explains everything, you have to stick around for the extended episode. I'm going to give you time to think and come up with your own, but I have an actual theory that I'll share. That sounds perfect. All right. We'll uh, wrap that up and um, tune in to the extended episode to find out. Until then, the only thing that is perfectly paired with a Bavarian farm massacre is a Bavarian beer and a snort of Jägermeister. Cheers. Cheers.